Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Build Value by Choice. I am your host, Nana Bonsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. Every week we try to you know, bring you content that focuses on small business owners and their needs, and particularly owners who want to scale up their businesses, manage their time, and leave a lasting legacy. This week, I have on as my guest, Daryl Bates Brownsword. Daryl is based out of the UK and is of Australian descent. And as you know, you can tell from, you're gonna be able to tell from his accent in a bit, but Daryl is uh, also focuses on helping business owners. And I'm gonna take a minute to talk about uh, Daryl. Daryl is host the Exit Insights podcast. He is based out of Oxford in the UK. And he's on a mission to help business owners who want to learn if they want to get the most from their life's work and exit on their own terms. Then they need to prepare for the business and for the exit. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Hey, thanks for having me, Nana. It's uh, great to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. So we're going to go ahead and dive into it. So this week's topic is how the nature of delivering work has changed, the impact on valuation and what systems need to be in place for businesses to ensure a successful long-term exit? So my first question for you is, how has the nature of delivering work changed? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question there because especially over the last couple of years, <clears throat> the world's been turned upside down in some senses and in other senses, nothing's changed. What we notice is that uh, people are seeking more balance and um, they're going, you know what? The business owners have recognised that the workers are, are quite grown up and quite responsible and quite capable from getting working from home and being super productive, you know, in that mind while working from home. And with modern systems like Teams and Zoom and what have you, we can connect to our, our work colleagues and, and we're not hindered, you know, with, with, with chats and what have you. So that's the main difference. People are getting a little more balanced, so they're saving on travel time and Dare we say it, you know, a lot of them are probably using a bit of that travel time to be a little more productive at work. So I think uh, on the whole, it's a good win for business, um, you know, for, for their employees to feel that they've, they've got that balance and that respect from the, the, the owners to get paid to do the job that they're meant to do rather than just get paid for showing up. Right. So, I mean, the in terms of the concern, because sometimes when you have old school "Quote unquote old school uh, owners and, and leaders who are concerned, who are more you know who feel more comfortable with having employees in the seats in the office. Um, how do you address those kind of concerns? Well, I think I think we need a balance because in, in some work environments there's creativity, there's bouncing ideas of it, off each other. You know, you bump into each other when you're getting a coffee and you go, "Hey, look, working on that client. What do you think? I've got this idea." So there's there's the benefits of being together impromptu. Um, and, you know, so I, I think I can't, we can't rule that out. But the best practice that I'm seeing at the moment is business owners are scheduling um, the hot desks, if you like, and they're going, hey, look, everyone needs to be in the office two or three days a week, um, but we're getting that balance. It's more than one day a week working from home, um, and it's two or three working from home. So they're still achieving that balance um, they're, they're, they're doing team meetings where they're, they're coming in together, they're doing training where they're coming in together and, and just you know, the, the, the creating those relationships that enable teamwork to flow. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's, that's the win. And, you know, for the ones who are, who are stuck, then 
I think that's off, often uh, a lot more of the, the traditional and, and those who are control freaks, dare I say, um, who are really struggling of, of letting go. But uh, I think th th there's, there's cultural change within the generations, regardless of what's happening with, within the workforce. So, uh, yeah, I think those people who are really stuck in the old school are, are perhaps older as, as, yeah, as, a, as a rule of thumb. Yeah, so you tend to uh, help business owners prepare for uh, for exit. I mean, uh, so you know, long before just uh, they even think about exiting or in this or whether it's transferring or exiting. In this case, you know, either selling it or passing it on to their kids or, or what have you. How does the this concept of valuation? How does this change in nature work? Whether or not it's, it's remote or in person, does it have any impact on valuation at all? Look, depending on the business, Nana, um, if the business is systemized and we've got workflows and standard ways of doing things and people know those standard ways and they follow the process and they've got some feedback, feedback loops in their process, then we can demonstrate that the work is happening regardless of where the people are. And we've got a lot of outsourcing going on now. Where the business is not so systemized and it requires the person to micromanage and oversee what's going on and, and be there to correct and you know main you know observe what's going on they're the businesses that are going to suffer but if the business is systemized then there's no impact on the valuation in fact the valuation is probably going to be increased because you know, the the we've got a demonstrable um, process or a demonstrable record of the, the work being done regardless of where the people are. So a good systemized business, you're actually going to increase the valuation of the of the business. Um, yeah, with with people working from home. Yeah. And I just want to uh, remind our uh, Facebook Live audience that we're also on uh, Clubhouse. So if you want to um, participate in typing your questions um, for Daryl. Um, you can go ahead and I'll try to you know, pick a couple of them up. Um, now, Daryl, statistics show us that about only about between um, maybe 10 to 20% of businesses that actually go to market you know, get sold. Um, yeah. Why do you believe that is? And what kind of preparation work do owners need to do? And how do you help them with that kind of work? So, look, I, I think the biggest reason is that when it comes to selling your business, it, it's a competitive market. People are, are looking to acquire the business because it's an investment. And when we're looking to invest our money, we've got so many choices of where we can invest it. So people looking to acquire businesses see a higher risk, but they see a higher return. So why, when do we need to prepare and, and what do we need to do and why are so, so few being actually sold is because they haven't prepared their business for ready. They're not exit ready, how does that show up when, when an acquirer comes looking is they go, actually, if I buy this business and the owner leaves, that's just too high a risk. It means that the business is overly dependent on the owner's involvement on a daily basis. And once that person has sold the business, their mind drifts away, their impact is on the business or their, their input into the business is less which just means there's risk to the ongoing revenue forecasts. So they'll just simply move on and go, look, too big a risk. I'm going to, there's plenty more businesses out there. I'll move on to the next business and have a look at one and find one with a, a smaller risk. And that's what you know, a business that's exit ready 
That's why they're, they're, there's so few businesses that are exit ready, and that's why there's only you know, 15 or 20% that actually get sold. The, the, the sad piece about that stat, Nana, is that there's about you know, 10 to 20%, if we use rounding, that actually get sold. Now, of those that get sold, most of them end up with some sort of earnout requirement on the owner. And what that means is that the owner has to stay with the business to get the rest of their money. So they'll get some of the, the, the proceeds of the sale up front, but the buyer says, look, this is a bit risky, so I want you to hang around and we'll put some sort of requirements in place for you to get the rest of your money over the next two years. Quite simply, what we know is that those earnout requirements just don't work. I was speaking with someone recently who said, look, as soon as we did the deal, you know, the 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 acquirers would actually put plans in place to make sure that we don't have to pay the rest of the earn out. And the other side of it is when business owners go, yeah, I think I can work for the new owners for, for, for two years. What could go wrong? Yeah, it's only a couple of years. It should be okay. But six months into that two-year earn out period, they're going, I can't do this. I can't work for someone else. And they leave. And when they leave, they leave a whole lot of money on the table. And, and to me, that's just sad. And it's tragic because it's avoidable. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of times the reason why a lot of business owners went into the business of their own is because they wanted to have the freedom and independence. And if all of a sudden you find yourself one day to the next where you're no longer calling the shots or things are going in a different direction and you, you, know, you feel like you can't do anything about it, uh, that can be tough. Exactly. And, yeah, whilst we think it's not, a, not going to be an issue, um, it's a totally different work environment and, you know, people who start businesses have a different mindset and they, they struggle more than they realise they're going to. What kind of systems do you feel like need to be in place to, um, to make sure that the changing nature of work um, does not adversely impact valuation? So the sort of systems in place, I think we've got to start with the um, production system. So whatever our product is, we need to have some sort of workflow system that starts from the, the sales cycle, the first contact with the client, all the way through to the um, production of producing whatever it is that we've sold to the client, and then delivery, what we deliver to the client, and then client engagement. So we need those workflow systems there. Then behind that, we probably need some sort of induction and onboarding system to make sure that everyone gets trained in all of those systems and, and understands how they work and why they are the way they are. And then the next, the next type of system is around the finances and reporting and, and giving the management and the leadership the information they need. So but the, the, the big focus is on the workflow of client experience and client delivery. Do you see this trend continuing, this trend of you know, remote work and among other things? So do you see it continuing or do you see it as some kind of a temporary thing because of COVID and uh, some of these other things we've gone through the last two years? I think the trend is going to continue in the format that we've started to see, and I'm sure it's where you are as well, where people are you know, working from home you know, two or more days a week. Um, and and you know, one of my clients that I'm working with you know, before COVID was gearing up and getting ready because they needed to um, you know, increase, they were growing their business, they're growing at 40-odd percent a year, and therefore they just needed more people in a bigger office space. COVID um, ended up being a blessing for them because what they realized is actually why, you know, people can work from home. It's a professional workforce. 
they don't they just need a computer and a, and a you know a good work environment a working environment so now they've they've got a, a roster system where where everyone basically books a desk the the culture is that people go to the office at least twice a week and but they have a scheduling system where where they fill up all the desks um yeah and by people scheduling people to be in there at least twice a week and they try and do it around functional operating teams so they make sure all the the, the admin team are in in together and, and building relationships you know on, on a monday for example and then various delivery and operation teams are in other days of the week but people have to be in there at least two days a week and what most people are doing is going yeah i like three and and i'll i'll, I'll work from home uh, monday or you know whatever days they need to um but they can't always have the same day every every week off um off working from home so yeah i i see that change and and these guys are going well we can see this office size working for us for the next few years no problem we don't need an increased office size and if we ever have to have a whole company meeting we'll just hire a meeting room now, what kind of impact is that? And I don't know, you know, maybe this, maybe, you know, maybe what is UK specific, but in general, it just seems like a lot of these things apply, you know, everywhere else. It's, you know, what kind of impact is this going to have on the commercial real estate market? I know that's not, that may not be expertise, but there could be a lot of like abandoned office buildings and, and stuff like that. But, but it's so the, the, on the flip side, on the one hand, the commercial real estate buildings that, you know, used to uh, host these, companies that are mostly going either remote or hybrid, or because it's going to be reduced space, they may just say, look, I'm not going to renew renew my lease. Or I want to break my lease or, and just kind of pay the penalty. Or even for the ones that own their building, they may just decide to just kind of, instead of using the whole building, maybe use a couple of floors and rent out the other you know, thing. That could become an asset um, you know, on your balance sheet and, and extra income coming in. Do you, have, do you see anything like that going on or, or, or not yet? I, I'm not an expert in that area, right? But yeah, my suspicions are similar to yours in that some commercial office space may be rezoned, and, and we'll see more hybrid um, sort of coming in. There'll be buildings, I, I suspect, where there, you know, there could be rezoning and and yeah, maybe a, a mixture of residential and commercial in certain spaces. In terms of the preparation work that you do with business owners in the UK, how long does it usually take? Um, or how long did you usually work with them, you know, before yeah. they even decide to, you know, take the ultimate step? I guess if we're talking about getting the most maximization of, of, of value or valuation possible, one of the things we say to business owners is, is look, it takes three years to prepare your business for exit. You can do that before the transaction or you can do it after the transaction, preparing your business. Now, after the transaction is the earnout, which is what we're trying to avoid. So we go, look, if you really want to maximize value, you need to allow three years. Now, if we have a look at how business is valued, there's a combination of, of a profit number and a multiplier number. If we, in the first six months, we're focusing on the profit type of elements, what are the, the quick one fixes, we owe instant impact type of things we can do to tidy up all the financials, all of the record keeping, all the governance type of things, all of the pre-due diligence type preparation things that, that need to happen? They'll take six to nine months and you'll impact the profit number of the valuation formula. If you want to start tweaking the multiplier and have an influence on the M, the multiplier, then it takes 18 months to three years and the reason that is, is because now we're working ahead of the business. 
we're working on the things that will hit the, the bottom line in 12 to 18 months' time. So we want to demonstrate that some of the initiatives are starting to flow through, but show that there's a whole lot of upside uh, in the future potential. So yeah, we've got a history that we can show a potential buyer and go, here's the value we've created and here's what should be flowing through in the next two or three, four or five years. Great. So now I want to pivot back to your podcast. What inspired you to start Exit Insights Podcast? reason we started the podcast, Nana, is in the UK especially, what we found is, is that business owners just simply weren't aware there's not enough awareness in the marketplace that you actually have to prepare your business to get exit ready so you can exit on your own terms and not have the buyers dictating the terms to you. I know in the States there, there is an exit planning industry and we've got some, some um, um, involvement there through our software uh, known as Capitalize. <clears throat> and that's where we work with exit planners. So we're familiar how the in, in the States the, the industry has evolved. But when it comes to the UK, there's no industry yet. So the whole reason for Exit Insights is where I speak to all sorts of advisors um, who of people who help business owners prepare their business for exit. And I also talk to people who have exited their business or sold to a, an EOT, which is an employee ownership trust, which is a form of ESOP, and just get them to share the story of going through the exit process and, and what they wish they knew before they started that exit journey. So it's all about raising awareness of what you need to do to exit on your terms and get the most of your life's work. How do you think of succession planning when it comes to, uh, do you talk you know, about succession planning as part of your preparation at all? Yeah, look, um, and we, you know, succession planning and exit planning. So the way we look at it is, is if you own a business, there's three areas to beneficial, you know, that you benefit from as, as owning a business. And the way most advisors look at it is that they bundle those three areas and treat them as one. What we like to do is unbundle them. And the three areas are, hey, look, if I own a business, one of the benefits is, is I get an income. I, I get a job and I do a job and I get you know, the equivalent of a salary. The second area of benefit is that I, I have ownership of the business. What, what's the benefit of ownership? Well, hopefully I get capital uh, increase in my capital value. And the other area is that I'll get dividends of, of that ownership. The flip side of the, of the ownership is that I'm responsible for funding the business as well. Now, the third area of, of beneficial ownership is, is that I get to control, I have control, and that control is exercised through the board, but I, I get to say in the future direction. Now, they're the three hats or the three areas of ownership. So when we go, okay, what, what is the business owner looking for? Are they looking for succession planning or exit planning? Succession planning is when I exit from the day-to-day -day side of the business or, or the job, the employment side. And then, and then I may participate just and remain as a shareholder or maintain as or, or remain as a board director. And therefore, I've got influence on the control and the capital growth, but I'm no longer part of the, the employed side of the business. And then we talk about exit planning as, as exiting from the equity side of the business and potentially be exiting as a director as well. So we will talk about a, and have a planned or a phased approach from each of those three areas. And we'll exit each of those three areas at our own pace and in the order we want to as a business owner. What are some of the common mistakes that you see business owners making, whether it comes to success, you know, the um, just you know, exiting outright or just exiting to go into like the boardroom? 
Look, some some of the mistakes I see if someone wants to exit and just stay in the boardroom or, or stay as an owner is depending on the size of the business and, and the other structures of the business is that they become absent or they become distant from the, the rest of the business. And the people running the business start to question and go, well, what do I need the owners for? Why are we building the business? The business is being run by us. We're doing all the work, but the owners, the absent owners are getting all the benefit. Why don't we just start our own business? Now, so when a business owner's exits, I see it, you know, gross rule of thumb here is that it may continue to exit for two, three, maybe five years, okay. But yeah, after that is if they're absent is when people start asking questions and, and I've seen it happen where they've gone off and started their own business or and taken the clients with them. So it's had a massive impact. And you know, if the next question is, well, how do you um, address that or that risk, then to me, the biggest, best way to address it is some form of employee ownership. So if you had an ESOP in place or an EOT, um, employee ownership trust or, or share options plan, then yeah, that, that, that brings the owners, the managers in as partial owners of the business. And yeah, that way everyone gets treated equally and, and has a, a similar reward for, or incentivized for the same reward. Last question. What advice do you have for owners who may not be ready to you know, exit, but uh, want to be prepared when the time eventually comes? It's a bit like, you know, when do you plant a tree? Um, you know, best times 300 years ago. When's the next best time now? The sooner you start planning and preparing your business to get exit ready, it means you're on the front foot. And that means, you know, because a lot of business owners go, well, look, I'll just build my business to the stage where someone will come and make me an offer. Now, if someone just makes you an offer, you're on the back foot. And on the back foot, you're reacting to any of their requests, any of their you know, information requirements, and you know, you're not prepared. So you're not putting the business in your best light. Now, that's when um, they're dictating the terms of the process. On the flip side, if you're exit ready and you're exit ready well in advance, the, the advantages are that you've got a better run business, it's more profitable, and it's more fun to run. So the sooner you get exit ready, you just got a better business and a more profitable business to run anyway. So um, it makes sense to start early. Okay, great. So what? Uh, how can people get in contact with you uh, if they want to you know, learn more about what you do? The best way in the UK is to visit our website, www.succession.plus. <clears throat> Or if you're in the States, if you want to find out our, our proprietary process, then, then check out our, our software platform, which is capitalize.com. And that's just capitalize without the E on the end with a, a Z or a Z. All right, great. Well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you coming on. This was a um, great insight. Time went by kind of fast. And then um, look forward to uh, speaking again in the future. And for the audience, once again, you can check out the show's website, www.infhorizons.com forward slash podcast. We're going to have Daryl's information in the show's notes so you can have it to you and uh, on another topic next week. Thanks and bye for now.